Welcome to Trauma Queen, where we normalize talking about some pretty hard shit. I'm Jiminika Eborn, your certified trauma queen. I've been working with survivors of assault for over a decade. This season, we'll be talking about black femmes. We will discuss how we, as black femmes, experience the world differently, both in our interpersonal relationships and the everyday trauma of being a black femme in today's society. Like always, the focus will be on our journey to healing and finding support. In each episode, I'll give three new resources directly related to the topics we cover. For years, I've seen survivors portrayed without their voices never being really heard. This changes now. Let's heal together. Hey y'all, we may be talking about some things that may bring up some feelings for you. And if that's you, that's totally okay. We're talking about a lot of intense emotions. So if this is affecting you, please take some time for yourself. Maybe you can come back. Maybe you have to skip an episode and that's okay. Come back when you can and we'll be here for you. Before we get started, I'd like to shout out our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a platform that connects you with a personal online therapist. They have hundreds of licensed therapists and can connect you with one within 24 hours. Cognitive therapy has been proven to be the leading most effective treatment for PTSD, anxiety, and childhood trauma. I always recommend first seeking an in-person therapist, especially for crisis situations, but online therapy is also a fantastic option, especially if you live in an area where you don't have access to a therapist with the black experience, the queer experience, or they're just too expensive. With BetterHelp, you can filter to find exactly what kind of therapist you'd like. And if it doesn't feel right with the first person, you can match with a new counselor within 24 hours. You can video chat, talk on the phone, do an app messaging, and it's available for desktop or mobile. Go to betterhelp.com queen. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Q-U-E-E-N to find your personal counselor for as low as $35 a week. I am super excited for everyone to be tuning back in and to have this magical human who I'm sad that I just found out about, but I'm so glad that we all get to learn more about this magical human mm. um, because I, I really feel like we're all about to be blessed with a gift. So um, I'm just going to introduce you. So can you tell us your name and your pronouns? My name is Walayla, and my pronouns are they and them. Beautiful. Okay, well, let's just jump in this. Let's just learn all about you, tell all your business, <laughs> um, and just learn. Okay, so the first question I've been asking everyone is, um, what does being a Black femme mean to you? Um, I took some time to think about this, and I had to go back to my reading, and um, I was thinking about this book, um, called Night Vision by Butch Lee and mm-hmm. Red Rover, which is really incredible. And there's this portion in it that says um, to understand like being a black femme is pretty much by society standards, we're seen as subhuman. So we're seen as half sex machine or reproductive machine and the other half as workhorse. So me being a black femme means to constantly assert my humanity mm-hmm. and my humanity being rooted in a love for my people and a love for our self-determination and a love for our freedom, which in freedom naturally also entails the ability for me to define who I am outside of the set binary. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go with this blessing. I just feel it coming. I'm so ready. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, we're just beginning. I got questions. I was sitting here just writing things out. Um, so why do you think your story or perspective needs to be heard? Um, well, when I think about it, there aren't too many like communist, black, disabled, fat, queer folks with a ton of visibility. And Mm -hmm. by visibility, I don't mean, you know, the conventional sense of like having a blue check or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, like our stories and our ideologies don't reach the masses. Mm -hmm. And that's very intentional because, you know, people who often share my ideology, like we're shunned for it or we're shamed for it and things like that. And so... I share my story because I understand my story isn't the only one that needs to be heard. Um, So I share it to encourage other people like me to do the same and Mm -hmm. more importantly to take action. Um, So if my perspective can be a catalyst for one or two people, um, that can be a catalyst for three to five and it keeps going, then Mm -hmm. I will do it. I love that. I mean, that is literally why we have this show. 
And people are always like, oh, I'd love to be on your show. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't, I will never have just a regular blonde white lady on my show. Um, because honestly, I feel like they got every other show. So this right. is, Trauma Queen's not for you. Right. I mean, you can listen. But... Right. That's what I always say. You can sit in the back and listen. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like scrolling through your life and I was like, oh my God, don't have to hang out. Um, yeah, no, we But do. like, there's so many like different, like, levels to you and I want to definitely like talk about like all the different parts of you um and I know you utilize the term uh the pronouns they and them and what does that mean for you like because visually I'm sure people are like oh well you're femme and you're a woman and you're this like what does this mean to you especially being someone that has melanin in their skin right um well the first one is checking pronouns constantly it's just that's the name of the game always unfortunately Mm -hmm. um I think what I've learned in my time of like coming into myself is that there's this incapability for people to particularly see fat or larger black people Mm -hmm. as anything but the heteronormative assumption. And that's because the idea of who could be non-binary, who could be seen as gender fluid or gender non-conforming is rooted in being thin and white usually with like a short haircut. Like we have this (laughs) idea of like androgyny only. And it does a disservice because it goes against the whole notion of what being non-binary is rooted in to begin with. And so at the same time, I've had a lot of people invalidate who I am because I don't quote unquote present enough Mm -hmm. as non-binary. And I'm like, what does that even mean? (laughs) Um, When like, because then when we do that, we teeter into like re-inscribing the same colonial views and binary views and hierarchies um, that these realms that like we've stepped into are meant to be the antithesis of. Like I became non-binary because those things were oppressing me so like why are we reinscribing the very thing that we don't like um so i constantly have to have that conversation um and i'm more than open to having it because we all got to learn and grow i mean thank you for doing the work because sometimes mama's just too tired i'm like my google works like your google so and it's free since everybody likes free stuff right well i just dropped the free pdf like i don't do too much (laughs) you're like i've already done this work also here's my venmo Um, I get it. I totally get it. And like learning more about you and like, I I saw that you are a part of, are you the creator of Spit Justice? Are you a part of Spit Justice? Um, I don't, I I don't like saying creator and founder. It feels weird. Um, I'm like a co-founder, but I prefer to say I'm an organizer within a larger collective, but yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about Spit Justice? I was like, oh, this looks dope. Oh, thank you. Um, We work really hard. So Spit Justice is a weekly event that we put on in South Central. um, Mm -hmm. And the we is the Asada Bukhari Collective. And so it's a group of young, um, predominantly, you know, non-men, black working class people in Mm -hmm. South Central. Um, And so we work together to put on Spit Justice. And Spit Justice is every Thursday at Hot and Cool Cafe. And we pick a topic week to week. So we've done things like gentrification, Mm -hmm. police brutality, um, violence, like, you know, black armed resistance, things like that. And so pretty much what we do is we start the night um, delving into the topic. So we have six questions that we ask the audience and we engage. And so the questions are meant to hit Um, emotional literacy like how do these things make you feel like when we talk about Mm -hmm. police brutality and we're living in south central how does it feel witnessing that constantly Mm -hmm. um and then we delve into like well why do police exist why are they here and so that gets into critical thinking um and then we do problem solving essentially so we're like well we're all in a room together and when you have more than two people you can do something um so like what can we do to organize to protect our communities um and to bring these Uh, oppressive systems to an end and to a heal and so Mm -hmm. outside of spit justice we also do uh, monthly food distributions for free and mutual aid programs along with work studies and we currently have a young adult healing circle twice a month Um, so we just are pretty much there to be of service to the community I'm I'm sorry I was just like oh this is also amazing I was like okay so Thursday you say Thursday I'm gonna have to check my schedule um (laughs) Like, I I, um, I think, I hate saying, like, what you're doing is so needed because it shouldn't have to be something that's just so needed that it right. has to be created. Right. Um, but I'm very thankful. Thank you. Um, that you are doing this. And I also hate saying, like, work because it's, like, yeah, it's work, but it's also, like, a part of who we are. Right. To, like, we have to take care of ourselves. Yeah, we have to take uh, care of each other. Like, it's just, like, 
our duty essentially to take care of each other. That's why we always mm-hmm. say like it's mutual aid. So like mm-hmm. I know like, you know, I've done food distribution, but I've been in need and I've gone to other food distributions and things like that. Like it's solidarity work is mm-hmm. what we're doing, not charity work. I mean, yeah, definitely. Cause yeah. we have to carry, carry ourselves and pull each other up. Right. Um, and talking about like all of the solidarity and all the work quote unquote, and just supporting each other. Like, what do you presently think? Cause this is going to be a very question. This year be like, what, um, <laughs> oh, what Lord. are the biggest traumas that we are carrying right now? So. Um, <laughs> as like the black community as a yeah. whole, mm-hmm. um, who, well, See, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why I laugh and I'm like, Oh shit. Uh, <laughs> I, well, okay. It's a lot of things, but I always like to go to the source so we live in a, a society that is colonial and um, is, in, you know, is run by capitalism. And so those things inflict trauma onto us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be a variety of things. I mean, if you just look at South Central, like food deserts, living in poverty, those things result in like not having proper housing, not having proper food, um, illness. And then we have medical apartheid. You can't go to a hospital without being mm-hmm. afraid of dying. You can't go to the bus stop without being afraid of the police stopping you and then being afraid of um, that turning into a deadly encounter. Um, yeah. And then we have intracommunal violence, unfortunately, because we are indoctrinated into this society and system. So we have patriarchal violence, we have gang violence, we have all these things. Um, so ultimately, like what I see at the end of the day is like, grief is a mm. huge one mm-hmm. is when you really boil things down it's that um and i would say just like this incapability to like live fully like it's like it's like putting uh, like flowers in a desert and expecting us to bloom like it, mm. it's not going to happen um yeah. and so that i think that's like the biggest thing is like our material needs are not met and so much trauma comes from that too yeah so I'm going to make it a little smaller. What do you think about just the traumas of black femmes? <laughs> black femmes. Okay. Um, whew, another big, that's a, that's like a little bit smaller, but still I, big. What, yeah, it wasn't a lot. It was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went down by like a centimeter. Um, <laughs> so I would say, I think like referencing what I said before, like navigating a world in which we're seen as subhuman, mm-hmm. seen as like sex machine and workhorse, um, those traumas are very heavy to carry. Um, so I would say like sexual violence, um, this incapability to, if like, if we're not human, then we can't be humanized when we're going through our own trauma. So we're always meant to have this strong back, like carrying everyone, um, even in our own communities. And so I think those two things are the biggest ones that I see consistently. There's no safety. No. Like we, we literally, they're like, well, I mean, she died, but like, there should never be a, but right. Or an, that, or, no, or what was she or. doing? Right. Right. And it always, somehow it's our fault, um, which Correct. comes with this incapability to humanize us. Um, so, and then when you assert it and that you're angry and you're, you're loud, this, you're, you're loud. You're, yeah. I had that happen on Twitter today and I was just like, you know what? I saw that. <laughs> I was like, oh, you up early going on, going oh, in on folks. I'm always up early, unfortunately. But, and, and it's true. Like, no matter what you say, um, as someone that's presenting as femme or, you know, identifies as femme, however, we're always going to p- be put into this less than box. And then you put some melanin in our skin, then we're even lower. Right. The, the crazy part about me is you said this, like, we carry so much Right. So, I mean, like, I'm tired. I woke up. I saw that Jesse Smollett had been attacked. I was like, here we go. Like, mama's just, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like, I am exhausted. I've been exhausted for, like, two years. So then how do you take care of yourself through the exhaustion? Because the work still has to be done. So then that becomes the question. The work, the work, I can't not do the work. Like, it's a part of who who I am, right? Right. Um, I go and hang out with people that like are young. I hang out with my goddaughters because they're four and six and they haven't been touched uh-huh. by the world yet. <laughs> right. A so I'm like, ooh, I'm like, look at you. You don't know nothing but crayons. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go color. Yeah. What a simple I mean, life. Oh, I wish I could be four and six again. Same. Um, I was, and you're talking about like how people stand out and how femmes are all these things. Um, for you, when do you think that things started tra- to transition for you? Like someone, again, that is, um, go utilizes the terms uh, pronouns, they and them, 
but like as looked at as femme like when did you start to realize and stand out that you were different um I was 11 years old so I was in fifth grade Mm -hmm. and I was at the Santa Monica promenade with my mom and I was wearing like a halter top from the gap and I was wearing just a regular pair of jeans and um Ugg boots, because that was, like, the thing back mm-hmm. then. Yep, I got um, some Uggs on now. <laughs> okay, me too, though. <laughs> the slippers. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so we were there, and my mom, like, said half-jokingly, but also, like, I could tell there was this serious undertone. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we got to have you start covering up now because grown men are looking at you. And mm. um, yep. it was, you know, there's this hyper-sexualization that happens to us as black people as a whole. But in my case, since I was perceived as like a family, you know, non-men in general, mm-hmm. um, when we are young, we're not given the opportunity to be children. And so mm-hmm. in that moment, I knew I was going to have like a wildly different experience moving through the world um, and particularly navigating my body and my sexuality and those things compared to my white peers. And yeah. so I felt this immediate sense of shame. And I still deal with that to this day where I don't really um wear form-fitting clothing like I always Mm. am wearing something baggy or something like that because I don't want to be looked at I definitely went through that phase at like 11 yeah um because I start listen I started getting breast around 10 and then they really showed up and was like hey we're here at 11 and that's when I was like no I don't I like to wear like extra large everythings with big jackets like it's scary that people don't even realize like the process that we are mentally and emotionally going through. Right. And how young that starts and Mm -hmm. how like, even at my age, like I'm almost 25, like looking back at certain moments being like, wow, this was like way more defining and critical than Mm -hmm. I've given it credit for my entire life. Yeah. Have you ever gotten any um, mental health support while just, just (laughs) being a human? Um, I'm sorry. I'm getting over a cold. So I'm sorry. I keep coughing. Um, I have, uh, when I was, I got how old was I, 20, 21, mm-hmm. I was dealing with a lot of like mental illness related stuff, um, to the point where it was getting in the way of me being able to interact with people in a healthy mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so I was involved in like some form of therapy and like group work, like, um, what are, what are those, uh, like 12 step type meetings. Yeah. Um, and then when I was younger, I worked at a teen to teen crisis hotline. And so part of that is like, you always have a therapist with you. You're always kind of doing therapy work outside mm-hmm. of it. Um, because you know, you have people on the phone saying they want to kill themselves and you're 15 being like, um, I don't really know how to handle you're like, this. how do I hold this? Right. How do I hold it after is the biggest thing. So yeah. I, I kind of grew up around that, um, on the one end, but then on the other end, like I knew I needed a lot more help than outside of the crisis hotline when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, like I knew I needed like a therapist and maybe some sort of prescription or something. And my parents were like, no, 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 you're fine. And it kind of mm-hmm. turned into this ticking time bomb when I was 21 and it's like, I'm a mess. And so finally they took it more seriously. Um, and then, you know, after my cancer diagnosis, I was in a support group for some time. But other than that, you know, therapy is expensive. Yeah, so it's a privilege. It is privilege. So like, you know, sometimes, you know, lately – um, it's been watching things kind of fall apart for two years internally and being like, oh shit, I guess now it's time to fix that. Let me go call Medi-Cal and see if maybe they're going to assign me a therapist. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah. Do you think, um, a part of like culturally was a part of your parents being like, no, you're fine. You're good. Or, or was it like the financial thing? Like we don't have the finances for you to go see what's going on mm. with you. I think it's it was both, but the irony was my mom was working in mental health Ooh, um, as okay. a like a, a nurse that works in like kind of like a psychiatric unit. Got it. Yeah. Um, so I think she was just like, well, you don't act like my patients. Yeah, the severity so, of it. Right, but she's seeing these huge extremes every day. Um, so she kind of was just like, yeah, no. And then I think it was also culturally like my father is Eastern European and my mother is black, and so those cultures oftentimes, you know you you sweep it under the rug mm-hmm. um and then it's it's deduced to like bad behavior yeah um and that also comes from like education system is not rooted in trauma-informed care so my teachers being like yeah. well you know this kid is bad and my parents are like you're right as opposed to like this kid is dealing with trauma and mm-hmm. maybe we should handle it yeah I mean and, and again the school systems are built in racism like right <laughs> you get one day of what black history month in class yeah 
And, and you have to wear your daishiki to school. Girl. I've seen this. And I was like, what in the whole hell is happening? Wow. That's a whole other segment. This is like the ongoing trauma. You know what part of the trauma is like looking back at things you've been through and you're like, what in the fuck was that? Right. That, no wonder I'm like this. Is always what I say. Like, it's not my fault. Let me tell you what happened. It's not. I promise it wasn't me. Right. <laughs> Do you think because of like all of this and all the different traumas, have you ever had to like struggle financially? Oh, 100 percent. Okay. I I always um, yeah. I mean, when I was 20, I got kicked out of the house, and then I came back and I got kicked out again when I was 21. And I was houseless for years, like probably up until I was 23, where I was couch surfing. And um, part of that was as I started kind of realizing the things that I needed with my mental health, um, realizing that I didn't want to be a doctor in school, like that was really messing up my mental health too. Mm. Um, And that I wanted to do something involved in like organizing community related stuff and art. Um, My parents were just like, you got to go. And so I had to cut that tie, um, which was trauma in of itself. Mm-hmm. And knowing, like, I, I at that point, I was like, I would rather be houseless than deal with the abuse mm-hmm. that y'all are enacting on me, but also the ways in which you want me to be something that I'm not. Like, I would rather struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I had no choice. And so I was, you know, bouncing around couch to couch. I was getting really sick at this time, too. So I couldn't work. I was constantly getting a cold. I was really fatigued. I was getting bruises. And I just didn't really know what was going on. I was like, well, I'm, I'm homeless. So I feel like this is like what, you know, it's not supposed to feel great. Like yeah. I'm, I'm, this is, I'm just supposed to feel physically awful. Um, and so I couldn't really hold a job because of that. And um, I couldn't go to the hospital because I was uninsured. And you hear the horror stories of incurring a huge medical bill. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I wound up finally gaining some stability through performing shows and things like that and having you know, manager, booking agency, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I left all that behind because I wanted to do community organizing. So I started struggling again. Um, yeah. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. And part of the side effect of my oral chemo is that I can't work mm-hmm. um, because I'm immunocompromised. So it's just been a constant for the past probably four to five years of trauma and financial struggle going hand in hand. Yeah. Um, and it's a yeah. cycle. It is. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. It's definitely a cycle. I What came to me, and, and I definitely want to get back to um, you utilizing leukemia work. I want to get back to that because I'm really interested. Okay. Um, do you, I know some, like I've helped out and like donated food and water and stuff and gone to Skid Row. Right. Um, and I think for me, the hardest part about going down there is one, I'm an empath. And it's just that right. energy just hits me as soon as I open my car door. Right. Um, but also seeing so many black and brown bodies. Yeah. That um, are just there. Yeah. I actually used to work in Skid Row for a little while and I had to stop because I kept getting sick mm-hmm. being down there. Um, yeah. I mean, it's like it, the thing is, is like a lot of people. I mean, the fact that a Skid Row exists in a city like Los Angeles or um, as a country like, a, you know, the United States in general uh, speaks volumes because it, that that shouldn't be a thing as much wealth as this country has. Um, but then on top of that, like it exists like in South central, like you go to Lamert park and you go to the village, Mm -hmm. um, which now they put a gate up. So there's no houseless people can be there. There's little houseless communities everywhere. And I remember growing up, like I would have houseless people. I was pretty much friends with, like I grew up knowing that they would be on the stoop in front of the seven 11. Um, and that's wild to me that that's normal. Um, and it can become, normal for everyone else much quicker than they expect like becoming houseless is a lot of people are hop skipping and jump away from that i Um, always say that i'm like it takes one bad day yeah and like me to lose everything i'm like i because i live by echo park and i'm like okay i can be there's people there with tents i was like i am what one day off from being there like we are we are all one bad day yeah and it's stressful yeah it's so it's really hard yeah um, I was looking again, I've been stalking a little bit it's in, in like a polite, non-creepy way. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. I took um, it as such. So it's okay. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to just show up at your house uninvited. Um, and I was looking and you are a priestess. Yes. 
Can you tell me what that's about? Explain um, a little more to us. Yeah. Uh, so when I got diagnosed with my cancer, I was hospitalized. And I, the doctor said that I pretty much wasn't going to make it out. And they told my parents and my partner to get ready for me to die. And um, my mother-in-law went and talked to this elder in our community. And her name is Mama Shekina Shakur. And um, she was like, my daughter-in-law is really sick right now. I need some sort of guidance when it comes to this. Can you like pray over her image or something? You know, tell me whatever you see, anything. So Mama Shekina, you know, goes back into her, her little abode. And she prays and she sees that I'm fine. Like she foretells that I'm going to be completely okay. And it was odd because, you know, naturally in the moment I'm like dying. So it doesn't make any sense. Right. But a week later I get out of the hospital um, and I like surprise everyone. Like it's just like it's super shocking. And so I go to visit her to say thank you because um, she also wanted to give me some things. And so she was like, well, why don't you come like hang out with me once a week? And she framed it as like emotional healing. She kind of baited me into it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, sure. And so then it turned out, you know, she takes me to the beach and we start doing some ceremonies together. And they're just little markers that she takes note of that are indicative that I have this capability to be a priestess and communicate with my ancestors and see things ultimately and specifically through my poetry. Um, and so we get into that. And so then, you know, one day she's like, I really think that you have like this capability <coughs> to be a priestess like me. It really felt like I, the best way I could like describe is like when Hagrid tells Harry <laughs> that like he's a wizard. He's like, you're a wizard, Harry. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I'm a fucking wizard. So <laughs> I was like, okay, like word, like, and it, so then I started kind of being in a mentorship with her. And so Mama Shekina and I share a lot of ancestry similarities in the sense that um, our ancestors were Maroons. Um, and so Maroons are people who are, uh, well, it could take many forms in history, but okay. for us, it's enslaved Africans who escaped slavery, integrated with indigenous communities, and more often than not, we're behind a lot of the rebellions. So when we look at like the Seminole Rebellion in Florida, a lot of Maroons were a part of that and going back to get their own, burning down the plantation and liberating their people. Um, so Mama Sheki and I share very similar roots. So a lot of what we do and, you know, the other women in my coven, um, is like rooted in a mixture of African and indigenous spirituality. Um, so yeah, I started training underneath her and we did my rites of passage and I actually was going by a different name at that time. My name used to be King and I told her I wanted a new name cause I felt like this was like a rebirth. And so at my initiation ceremony, she gave me the name Walela, which means hummingbird. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So hummingbirds are fast. Yeah. Cute, knowledgeable. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. All the things. <laughs> I took it. I was like, I'll take it, sure. <laughs> You're so. like, I, I accept this. It's cute. <laughs> I'll go with it. I'm into it. Yeah. Um, and you you I know you brought like in the beginning you were talking about like your ideologies and like being like a communist. Can you kinda tell us a little bit more about that, especially being someone that is brown? Yeah, I mean that it's the quickest way for me to give a marker of like what I'm about. Um, okay. I re I've read a lot of literature that, um, you know, naturally like Marx, Marx, we read a lot, um, but mm -hmm. a lot of like African and indigenous interpretation of Marx and of communist and socialist ideologies. Um, so I, one of the biggest things that spoke to me um, was like reading Fanon and James Yaki Sales, Wretched of the Earth um, and the new African independence movement and Asada's work. And so I was like, well, I get down with this. Like, yeah, like capitalism is like, we could agree capitalism is trash. Colonialism is trash. It all needs to go. Everyone here seems to benefit. So yeah, I'm with it. Um, but naturally it took a long time of studying before I could align myself with an ideology. Um, so yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's amazing to even <laughs> be able to like get to this point. Cause I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be 32 this year and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I'm like, look at you. <laughs> just just humming burden it i get it that's just flying through i get it um what has been and this, you're gonna be like what the hell kind of questions this what has been um some of your biggest fears is like navigating through all of this mm. um he and i haven't even got to leukemia yet so just yeah well i mean a lot of people think that when you have cancer your biggest fear is dying and it's like mm -hmm. Um, it can be. And I think because of my staging being so advanced, uh, 
I had to interrogate mortality the second that they uh, diagnosed me. So I'm not afraid of dying per se. I'm afraid mm-hmm. of not doing what I was brought here to do before I die. Um, and mm. me self-sabotaging that or the system sabotaging it, whether, you know, through medical apartheid or poverty or things like that, where I die an unjust death almost. Um, so I'm afraid of that, like not fulfilling purpose. Um, and then I, the, a newer fear is recreating the generational trauma within my own mm. family. Um, so I'm often terrified of the idea of having children because I don't want to be who my mother was to me and I don't want to be who my grandfather was to my mother, um, which is like it's abusive is ultimately what that is. And so yeah. sometimes I see some of the traits like wanting to control things or everything has to be just right and I look just like my mother. So sometimes I'm just like, just want to carve my reflection out of the mirror because I'm just like, I don't want to be that. And so the first step is actually self-awareness with that. So working through that. And then um, I'm always terrified of my partner dying. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest, that's mm-hmm. like, that was, I would lose my best friend, my best comrade, um, the love of my life. So I'm more afraid about the people I love dying than myself. You know, I was thinking like that literally is just who we are as people. Like, yeah. again, quote unquote, like black fans, we're always so much more worried about other people around us yes. than ourselves. Yeah. And then there's no self-care. And then, well, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we get back here and we're like, oh, I forgot I have an A. I'm so, my bad. I was helping you though. I'm tired. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know, um, you, you talked about like being like houseless and all these things and the bruising and everything. When you found out you were, um, you had leukemia, do you think part of like them diagnosing you was a part of that? And also like being a black femme and getting less medical care cause they don't care. Um, and like the struggling of navigating it, like what did that look like for you? Oh God. <clears throat> That's a lot of things to Thank be you. honest. Um, yes. it's like, it's a list. Um, well, I first off, I, I didn't go to the hospital because I was afraid of not being treated properly. So to like what you said, like I was I was afraid of them saying there was nothing wrong and then me going home and being more sick. I was afraid of getting bills. Hello? 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 Are you there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you, I lost you for a second. Oh, okay. Let me, um, let me back. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good. You're back. Okay. Um, let me double back then. Um. So I guess like my biggest fear, I mean, not biggest fears, how I've been navigating it. Um, first off is like the medical system as a whole, um, not being taken seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, medical apartheid is really real. Uh, every single person who had some sort of like life threatening illness last year that I knew died. So I have a lot of survivor's guilt with that. Um, and it was because of the medical system. Um, so these were things that were avoidable. And then on top of that, asking for help has just been difficult. Uh, because people don't take me seriously down to like family and friends being like, well, you look fine. And it's like, well, I don't have to, I can look great and still feel like shit. Um, and that was part of what took so long for me to get to the hospital was so many people were like, well, you look fine. You look fine. Nothing could possibly be wrong with you. Little do they know I'm dying. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that taps into ableism, which is really deeply entrenched in our society and ourselves. I mean, me even working through my own ableism is a huge problem. Um, and then naturally just, uh, fundraising online, um, to trying to get the financial support that I need. And it's always some racist assumption that I'm like a black person scamming the system, um, Mm. scamming the internet. I look too good to be sick. So why should I give you money? Um, these are all informed by like racist, ableist and classist assumptions. Um, and so, and then naturally just getting support. Like I used to go to the cancer support community. Um, it's like really the only support community that's free in Los Angeles and in Santa Monica. And I'd be in a room full of rich white people saying that they felt oppressed by their cancer. And I'm like, that's a fascinating word choice. Definition time, y'all. Oppression and privilege. Oppression occurs when one person or group exercises authority or power in an unfair, abusive, cruel, or needlessly controlling way. Privilege, in terms of social equality, describes the state of a group of people being granted automatic benefits simply because they are a member of a certain group. 
Some well-known types of privilege include white privilege, heterosexual privilege, and male privilege. Privilege and oppression have a strong association with each other. People who have experienced systematic and psychological oppression are often at greater risk for mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, and post-traumatic stress. I'd be in a room full of rich white people saying that they felt oppressed by their cancer. And I'm like, that's a fascinating word choice. <laughs> it's incredible that you use that. Uh, and like, and I would say, like, you know, like that's not the word choice to use when you have a person in the room who like actually experiences this. And so it became like this incapability to empathize with me because I'm black. Um, so it's like, well, you're young and you're fine, and you know, why should we care? And so um, I spent, and then the biggest one, honestly, is being depressed and having depression and being like suicidal, like while having cancer is something that's not talked about like ever is like, because we're inspiration porn and we're like, well, look at this person still living. And it's like, sometimes, you know, I, there've been many days like where I didn't want to, and I couldn't communicate that because I felt so guilty and ashamed or like my eating disorder would make it to where I wanted to get sick again to lose all the weight. And admitting that is so hard because I know it's illogical, but it still deeply affects me. Um, So that's been really difficult. And then along the line of being, you know, considered a black femme and having to carry everyone else is having to support everyone around me and getting little to no grace when I'm like, I need to tap out because I literally feel sick right now. I think people, and like you said, you, you know, someone visually that doesn't know you, they'd be like, well, you look cool, boo. You, you're right. all right. And you're like, no, but actually, like, I have all of these things coming up. And they're like, but do you? Again, there's that damn but. But do <laughs> you, though? Like, right. mm. uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and is there, like, what has, like, your own, and I know we've talked about, like, how it is sometimes, I mean, not sometimes, it is hard, present day hard, like, healing yeah. and taking care of yourself. Like, what have you been doing to take care of yourself? <laughs> oh laugh okay <laughs> but yeah I always laugh when I'm like you know you're about to be hypocritical you have no right to be talking all this shit that's always how I am I'm like Ugh, I'm still working through it but I guess like yeah. being honest in that that I'm still working through it um and I think that's the the problem with a lot of social media is everyone thinks everyone else has their shit figured out and I don't mm. um but I journaling has been really great for me. The second I got out of the hospital, I've kept a journal ever since. Um, so I have like five journals I've written through. Um, going back to poetry, I took a break for some time because I wasn't being honest with myself. And so I can't write when I'm not honest. Mm. So doing that, but the biggest one, honest, um, honestly, <laughs> um, yeah, but the biggest one is finding community has been huge for me. And that was found through spit justice and spit justice was really like this mere idea (coughs) that I had with a couple people and it has turned into so much more than we could have ever expected. Mm -hmm. And there's been a group and a community that comes consistently that supports consistently, um, that uplifts us and we uplift them back consistently. And I always think within community, you find purpose and within purpose, there's hope always. And so that's how I stay hopeful throughout this too. Um, And then honestly, the healing circle and the huge reason why we made it was because of the fact that the idea that we have to go to Santa Monica, we have to go to the West side to get Mm. these free support circles or AA meetings. It's like, well, why don't we have that in Lamert or South Central or wherever? Mm -hmm. So if if it's not there, we have to make it. And so I've been able to take advantage of the healing circle being around black youth who are going through it and we're experiencing the world very similarly. So those are the ways that I've been coping. But how, how do you do that? Cause you sound like you have your shit together. That's a lie. That's, That's a lie. That's another just, lie. Let's just start this out the gate. That is a lie. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, every day is a different day. Right. I, honestly, like some days I'm like, I can't get out of bed because I, I too struggle with like anxiety. Mm. Um, I mean, I think I have like some form of functional depression. Mm. I did find a therapist with my Medi-Cal though. So I'm like, and she's a black woman. So I'm like, yes, I'm gonna go see her tomorrow. So I think finding someone that understood without me having to explain and Mm. redo the labor. Like I'll walk and I'll be like, girl, let me tell you. She was like, well, let's do it. And I'm like, yeah. See, that's Um, great. Finding someone like that. 
and also having people around me, and this sounds wild, I need to keep people around me that love me and believe in me more than I do. Mm, that's real. I yeah. relate to that. Yeah. Because there's those days when you're like, I too, I've, you know, for a long time I've had like back and forth eating ED problems. Mm. Um, and then someone that has worked in ED, that's when you're like, oh, I forgot. Here we go again. Like right. it re-triggers through the work. So working through that. But there's days when I'd be like, oh shit, I forgot to eat. And my yeah. friends would be like, come over for dinner. And I'd be like, oh, someone else reminded me that I needed to eat today. Right. So it's it's a lot of work. And I don't think there's anyone that has it 100% right. And anyone that t- ever tells me like, oh, no, I understand it all. I got it. I don't trust you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, no, nah, you are you are a loud liar. Like, you a just loud lied. liar. <laughs> you just lied to my whole face. Allow, I'm going to take the loud no, liar. Good, take it. I just made it up. I say things. Take it. I'll forget <laughs> it in like an hour. Go ahead. Um. I, I've appreciated this conversation. I, I I also really love how in your profile you wrote that you're a ratchet intellectual and yeah. a leukemia warrior. Can you yeah. tell can you share about this? Because I too think I might be a little bit of a ratchet intellectual. Everybody is. And so <laughs> that's that's the thing. We're trying to make it a thing. Um, okay. so I think right now in our society there's a lot of anti intellectualism and because intellectualism is often associated with academia and college and the ivory tower. And so that people are like, well, fuck that. I'm not good. I'm going to do the complete opposite. And it's like, nah, like you can like get buck and also like sit down and read some like <laughs> Fanon and Marx and um, Walter Rodney and whomever else, like you could do that. Um, and so that's a lot of what I've been trying to do is uh, with my profile and organizing and whatever is making reading cool, like making study and praxis cool. Um, so that's a lot, you know, in our work study, we do that too. So that's, that's a huge part of that. So you probably are a wretched intellectual. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I might put that on my profile. I too hey. am a wretched. <laughs> I'm part of the RI crew. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, it has to be a squad. Yeah, um, love a good squad. Right. Um, and then leukemia warrior. Um, I don't know. I just, I, that's how I envision mm-hmm. myself. I, I don't necessarily, uh, grasp onto a lot of the language that comes with cancer predominantly because cancer is a very white dominated world like mm. when you think about it it's i mean anytime you think about cancer <coughs> it's a white frail woman withering away in a hospital bed with a bald head um, true and that's meant to in- commercials right and it's me- it's meant to invoke your empathy and sympathy so that you could donate some money to that hospital or that nonprofit. so it's, it's great marketing um but that's not who I am. I'm also still battling it. So I can't say survivor. Um, so like I'm in battle and who fights a battle, a warrior. Mm. I love that. Thank you. I mean, it's also true. Like you said, all those commercials, you're like, oh, uh, yeah. Like, okay, well, I know people that have cancer and they don't all look like this. Right. And, that and was... none, of the, none of them ever look like us. Uh, yeah that part and I think that's why I talk about it so much on my social media because I was like I don't see anybody who looks like me with cancer or with an eating disorder or who's really political or who is encapsulating all these things and I was like man well fuck it I'm just gonna talk about it and if people got shit to say oh well like pull up to my doctor with me then Uh-oh. that's what I always say if someone is like oh well, I don't believe you I'm like bet well you know it sounds like you really want to advocate for me as a patient, so you were welcome to come with me to my next oncology appointment. And they never respond. All I heard was, who wants the smoke? That's all I heard from you right now. Who wants the smoke? I'm always ready. <laughs> That's part of being a black fem, a black person. Just stay ready. Listen, I, I, this is, this is something like I've been struggling with, and I don't know if you have as well, like, just like the fear of being. Like mm. going outside, mm. going to events. So listen, I'm I'm like, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm queer, I'm polyamorous. Like mm-hmm. when I came out to my mom, she was like, I, you know, fine, do whatever. It's just so many things now more against you. Right. And this country's so loud now with their hatred that I'm like, I'm going to just stay home. It seems safe here. Yeah. There's a lot of social, there's a lot of anxiety, social anxiety. Um, I have like, I didn't realize this actually until this month. So it's 
great that we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I am afraid to go outside alone. Like if I don't mm-hmm. have my partner and granted my partner and I are both non-binary, but when people look at us, they, we present as like a cishet couple. Yeah. Um, and so I don't get messed with then because of course, like I'm some quote unquote man's property. Um, mm, so like, you know, no one. So I have this fear of going outside alone. I have a fear of being away from my partner. Um, for more than like a day because I'm afraid something with my illness is going to happen or something, you know, whatever is going to happen. Like some sort of crazy pending doom is going to happen. Um, and I think that's in part because of like what you're talking about is like this fear of being. And luckily I got a emotional support and well, she's a puppy right now. So hopefully she'll support me eventually. (laughs) Um, (laughs) that's what we're hoping for. But to combat that, to like move through the world and feel like I have something with me or a being with me, um, that can still allow me to be independent. Yeah. So, but that, that shit is hard. It's hard and real. And people like, come do this thing. And I'm like, who going to be there? Where is it at? Yeah. All the questions. How long? Is the Uber paid for? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, I have questions. And they're like, you're such a Gemini. I am such a Gemini, but also I got questions. (laughs) Right. You keep not answering the question though. (laughs) So. Uh, If you could give anyone that's listening any like healing tips, any like surviving tips, what would you say? I, I think it goes back to what I had said before about finding community, finding people who agree with the same things as you do. And, you know, not in the way like where it's like, you know, it's like a cult and like you're like the leader or something, but like where like fundamental things. So like for me, like being around black people who also identify as like non-men is like a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are like, yeah, this world is messed up and corrupt that's a big one. We don't have to agree about how it needs to come to an end, but like we could have that conversation though. And we can be like, yeah, police suck. This sucks. Um, so being in community and finding ways that we can do that. And I think like, if that's an open mic event, if that's a weekly book study, if that's a weekly, um, going hiking, a weekly, whatever, um, finding that and being in that consistently has personally helped me a lot. And I've actually seen it help a lot of my comrades a lot too. Um, there's a lot of blossoming that happens with that. And then naturally um, figuring out what one's purpose is, which Mm. for me oftentimes coincides with community. Um, There are a lot of people who find their purpose allegedly, and it's very individualistic and it's very putting themselves on a pedestal and it's a very lonely world. And they oftentimes are not as happy as they portray themselves to be. And they're not as hopeful as they portray themselves to be. Mm -hmm. And so when we, work in collective and community and remember that I think oftentimes we can help each other heal and survive too. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that this is how I started my morning. <laughs> cause I was like, you. cause I will have transition. Cause this morning I just woke up pissed. Aww. I was like, Oh, more, more murder. This is more attacking. Like I'm just, I'm always angry. Right. Like I wake up and I'm like, no, we got to shake this. How do I get out of this? Yeah. Um, but thank you. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for taking the time to like, just, I told you he was going to bless us. Um, (laughs) so thank you. Um, but before we kind of like wrap this up, um, and I let you continue with your beautiful day, can you you. tell us like how we can find you, how we can support you? Just, just tell us your business and plug yourself. Uh, Um, well I'm on Instagram and Twitter and my at or my handle is it's Walela. So that's I T S w-a-l-e-l-a and then um there is a link tree in my bio and if y'all appreciated anything that i said you can donate to spit justice um Mm -hmm. and donate so that we can continue doing this work in the community yeah well thank you so much thank you just for just giving me a little bit of this blessing i'm i'm also gonna start really being in your business and all in your space (laughs) um but i definitely want to definitely and I keep saying definitely like to remind myself how I really need to continue finding more community and to check out what y'all are doing because it sounds amazing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you. And as always, we have three amazing resources. First, a book titled Wretched of the Earth by Franz 
Fanon. In this book, the author provides a psychiatric and psychological analysis of the dehumanizing effects of colonization on both the individuals and the nation. Next, a group while Layla talked about spit justice, black-led and black-centered, community healing, inspiring, radical change through art and grassroots organized based in South Central LA. They can be found on Facebook and Instagram. And last but not least, the BTGNC Collective, a network of black trans and gender non-conforming people organizing for our liberation in the Chicago area. We are, we are a membership base and our mission and values shift as we continue to grow through direct action, community, education, and creating spaces for healing. We seek to strengthen the bonds within black trans and gender non-conforming communities and fight back against the systems that harm us. We collaborate with other organizations and see ourselves as one group in a large web of resistance dedicated to the liberation of all oppressed people. Go ahead and check those out. As always, thank you. I'm so excited to announce we have a store. I've created a meditative coloring book filled with journal prompts, affirmations, and gorgeous illustrations for you to color. We have brand new Trauma Queen socks with cute little tiny crowns all over to remind you that you are a queen. And we have two kinds of tea, one focused on stress relief and one that's for healing that heart of yours. The tea bags come with little affirmations, so as you steep your tea, you set your intention. Everything will be available on my website, www.traumaqueen.love. That's www.traumaqueen.love. Thank you so much for listening. This season has been so special to record. And of course, I have to shout out all the people who made this possible. You can find us all on Instagram. Podcast artwork by Zoe Loves, Z-O-I-E-L-O-V-E-S, recorded and engineered by Bapari, B-A-P-A-R-I, produced by Boy God King, B-O-Y-G-O-D-K-I-N-G, and me, I'm your host, Jiminika, J-I-M-A-N-E-K-I-A. Support for this podcast made possible by our sponsor, BetterHelp, and people like you. If you'd like to contribute to supporting this work, you can do so by clicking the link in the podcast description. You can donate as little as 99 cents per month to keep us going strong. Every penny you send goes right back into making this resource accessible to the people who need it most. Thank you for listening and happy healing.